12 and a half years. Yeah, give them a round of applause. The examples of good marriages in our community. Uh, they also lead a youth organization called What Hope. Come on, give them a round of applause. And they're doing so many things in our community. Um, if you don't know some of the stuff, you can probably open up the newspaper and find out all the stuff that they do. It's incredible. Um, and also they're now started their faith community, their church community called Connection Co. And it's just down in, over the border in Manurewa. So that's so cool uh, to have them here. You know, part of our whānau because we're an extension of God's body on earth. So, um, and also they've been working together with youth or So yeah, we, um, we just started by meeting just one young person about five or six years ago, and we just connected with them over two or three, about two years, and we met more and more youth. And then officially we started about three years ago, um, started a charitable trust, and it's sort of grown from there. And we've got some incredible leaders who are in the house today, which, um, yeah, so we appreciate you guys and um, the support too, so thanks. And uh, Annie's going to be speaking this morning, um, and it's... Um I just want to just do a, just a pre-warning. It's some of the story that's going to be shared for parents that are, have got your teenagers in here. It's going to have some um, topics of sexual abuse in it. Okay, just a pre-warning for you. I don't want you to feel like, oh, you didn't tell us. I'm telling you now. Okay, but uh, if you feel like it may be too much for your child, you, they can um, stay in the cafe area. But if you can walk them through that journey, because I think um, our boys were going to walk that through with them. Um, but it's a great testimony. Um, this morning. So let's be open. Let's hear the word of God through a story of this wonderful lady. Okay, let's give her a round of applause. Give them both a round of applause. But I want to hand it over to Annie. Here we go. Oh man, it's so cool to be here. I was going to say it's like extended family. We're extended family, but actually we're immediate family because we are brothers and sisters under Christ. So thank you, The Gate. And man, The Gate, you guys have amazing pastors. I call Joe and Lydia Mr. and Mrs. Champion because they not only champion in, are champions in life, but they champion others for the kingdom. So mad respect and love for you guys. Thank you. So thank you for having us here today. Hey, um, so I'm really pumped this morning to share part of my story. And I'm not going to lie. <laughs> this week, at the beginning of this week, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm sharing my story. And all, I had a barrage of thoughts going, don't share your story. Like, that's just, and blah, 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 blah. I think you guys might know the dialogue in your own minds. And I shared it with Ken, and he goes, that's because you just focused on yourself. Now, <laughs> when Ken says that stuff to me, I'm just like, but you know when the Holy Spirit confirms it, then he was right. And um, this, <laughs> this verse dropped into my heart. And if we could all turn to it, that'd be awesome. It's in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, um, and I know we don't all have the same pages, but if anyone has this Bible, it is page um, 754, so Revelation 12, verse 11. And this dropped into my heart this week, and I want it to drop into your heart this morning. God has given us a three-pronged approach to defeat the enemy in this verse, and it says this, just look up if you're all there. Awesome. I think I can see most of your eyes. And it says this, And they defeated him, that's the dragon, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. And when I read the word of your testimony, I was like, you know what? Satan is constantly wanting us to hide 
our stories because he knows that when we testify, when we have redeemed stories and we testify them, then he has to stand in silence and defeat. So this morning, Satan, you are standing in silence and defeat because we are testifying our redeemed stories in the name of Jesus. Um, so uh, actually, we started, Ken, maybe about six years ago, he had this idea to do video stories, and we called it HopeStory.tv. It is, at the moment, a bit dormant, but they shot some of my story, and um, we're just going to show a snippet of that. If we could have that video now, that would be cool, and then we will continue together. Thank you. She wouldn't let us do anything. And um, looking back, I realise it was because growing up, Dad was super protective of us kids, and he actually wouldn't let us do anything. And um, looking back, I realise it was because he wanted to protect us from the hurts and pains that he'd experienced. But Dad also drank a lot, and so home was um, often a place of fear. Um, when he was drinking, he couldn't protect us the way that he wanted. And we had a lot of visitors come and go, friends and family, and it just became a perfect breeding ground for sexual predators. So as a result of that, when I was very young, I became sexually awakened. Um, my view of males and and sex and was just so marred and distorted, and I was very fearful of men, and I had my dad who was um, an alcoholic and I had other men who were um, taking advantage of me sexually and I became, I really withdrew from them and probably one of my biggest ways of coping was just trying to please people and desperate for approval. God made himself very real to me and he, um, this Bible that was only just Bible stories to me suddenly became my very lifeline and I would read the Psalms and be blown away that the writers knew exactly how I felt. And I was very close to my family and friends, and but none of them could heal my heart. And I was starting to experience this healing through Jesus and through these words that were coming from the Bible. God started to put his finger on me dealing with my past abuse. And I'd actually fobbed it off. I didn't think it was anything worth looking at or thinking about, or but he started to show me that I, there were ways that I was relating that were a direct result of this, their sexual abuse and I didn't know where to start but amazingly he brought this woman along, this Christian woman who had gone through what I had gone through and in fact much worse but who God had been leading on this path of healing for many years before and she showed me that um, God was interested in my pain and that he could heal me and that she could relate to me and that was such a load off me. God started to give me the power to forgive and to move on and um, one really awesome time for me was when I wrote my dad a letter and I told him that um, about everything that had happened to me and I didn't know how he was going to respond and but one day he came into my room and he sat down with me and he just cried with me and I'd never seen my dad cry before and it was so healing for me and he told me that he was sorry and God just used that to just keep healing my heart and um, I really love my dad now. 
Um, my dad passed away about five years ago, so I'm a little bit teary. But um, when he watched that video, he said to me, do you only love me now? And we just cracked up laughing. <laughs> so I knew I had his permission to share. And, um, but I, um, yeah, thanks guys for letting me share that. But shame was such a big part of my story. And um, before I was the age of five, I just remember I was, I was awakened sexually really early and I would act out with other children, which might mortify some parents, but I'd act out with other children, um, sexual acts. And for a long time, I thought that was just because I was a dirty girl because I couldn't remember anything happening before that. And so for years I carried the shame that I was just this dirty little girl that, um, that somehow God made a mistake on. And, um, and you know, the devil, he cashes in on that stuff and he will help us interpret when we're children um, what that is. And so I just thought that um, I was used, used goods, that no one is ever going to love me. And um, that was escalated through other um, sexual things that happened. And I remember as an eight-year-old, I had a sexual encounter with an uh, older cousin. And after it, I just ran upstairs to the shower and I turned it on as hot as I possibly could because I just wanted to feel clean. I remember sitting under there and if you sat for too long, the water went cold and you got in trouble. So I couldn't sit that long, but I sat as long as I could before the water got cold because I just desperately wanted to be clean. And I came out of the shower still feeling the same way. I couldn't get clean. And so what I did was I became a good girl. I was really determined to be good. I don't know if I was at home, Mum, <laughs> but um, good at school and good at church. If there was a standard at church, I was going to take it to a whole other level. If they said to wear um, dresses here, I was going to wear them here. <laughs> if they said not to wear earrings, I just didn't wear earrings. But <laughs> as you, I, my way of coping was to please people. And I don't know if you guys can, some of you can relate to that, but it means that you lose your voice, you lose your identity, you just become a little robot, and it's not who God wanted us to be. And um, actually, when I was um, 16, I fell in love. I call him my Sunday school sweetheart. Um, I fell in love, and we were together for five years, and I was away on holiday, actually, which is really rare. I never went on holiday. My family just didn't do that. We just had, like, fun family times together. Um, but I was on holiday with a friend of mine, and we were skiing, of all things. I don't even like snow. Um, and <laughs> um, the significant thing was that I was alone, and I get a call from my boyfriend at the time, and um, which wasn't unusual, we talk every day, but he was really sort of sol solemn that day, and he rang to tell me that he had gotten together with my best friend. And the, I, I know I've been called dramatic, Kenneth often calls me dramatic, and I like that, I think it's a compliment, but um, <laughs> I, I felt um, if he had put a knife in my heart, seriously, it wouldn't have been as sore as the pain that I felt in my heart that night, and I was alone, and I wailed. I wailed this deep cry from my heart, and I know people break up all the time, but it was something really special and significant. He was special and significant to me because he was filling something that I had a void of. I had a daddy issue. <laughs> my daddy, even though he loved me, just didn't know how to relate to me, and um, I had, you know, as the story says, just constantly men doing things. But um, so this wail came deep within my heart and soul and out of my mouth. And my friend comes running upstairs. She's like, oh, my gosh, what has happened? And I told her. And, um, but we weren't super, super close friends. So that night we sort of went to sleep, and I couldn't sleep because I was just hurting so bad. And, um, but you know what? In my darkest, darkest place, 
God showed up. <laughs> and I went, I was like, I've heard these Bible stories. They must mean something. And I went and got my Bible. And I just read, like, the Bible came to life. Like, no one can tell me that the Bible isn't real because it came to life for me in the moment that I needed it so, so badly. And I read Psalm 18, and it talks about, um, you know, he drew me out of many waters. And um, by my God, I'm going to leap over this wall, and I'm going to conquer. And those things were really comforting my heart. And um, actually, if I could just turn to some of these verses um, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Um, actually, it's not verse 4, it's, verse, it's not even the right verse, is it? Anyway, that's okay, I can quote it because I learned it. So what I would do is, from this experience, I would just plaster the Word of God everywhere. I had it on my ceiling, I had it on my walls, so that when those lies that Satan would throw at me, because he, had, he loves to just get on, band, on, on the bandwagon without issues and make them into something that um, creates things that aren't even true or, or real. And so when he would come at me with those things, I had these verses, and one of them was in Isaiah. Sorry, I, I can't even see it right now, but um, my, the version that I learned was, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be dismayed. Therefore, I will set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will triumph. And I would read things like, for your shame, you will have double, and I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And these are the promises of God. And I was like, you know what? God just doesn't restore. He adds, he multiplies, he redeems. And <clears throat> So I'm just all about the Word of God this morning. And um, I had a really special verse, which we will turn to, is, is in Isaiah 42, 16. Okay. Page 429. Because <laughs> when I started to deal with some of the stuff, it was painful. I don't want to look at all that. I just wanted to bury it. I didn't even want it to be anything significant in my life. Um, but um, God gave me this verse, and it ended up being something I really held on to through that time. And it said, um, 42 verse 16, I will lead the blind by the way, a way that they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. So who knows, when you make something straight that's crooked it's going to hurt so this next bit was the bit that I hung on to and it was these things I will do for them this is God speaking and I will not forsake them I am not going to leave them and actually when I got together with Ken all my issues came to the fore like I became I, I mean <laughs> I kind of knew I was a little bit insecure and I'd worked through some stuff but you know when someone is kind of really close to your heart um stuff starts to open and um poor Ken, <laughs> I'd get so insecure. He'd be talking to my sister and like just casual conversation and I'd just run away and hide. I'd be like, he's talking to my sister. I know my sisters are probably going, oh, honey. Um, <laughs> or, or I'd just see him being friendly to a stranger who was a woman and I would literally just run out of the room, find some dark corner to just sob my little heart out and he'd be like, where is she? 
And he started to go, okay, God, um, I really thought that this woman was intended for me, and I really thought she was spiritual, but she is acting out big time, and I don't know what to do with her. And I'm saying it kind of lightheartedly, but he was in distress. And one night, he went into his room, and he said to me that, um, so bless his heart, just before I say this story, he used to try and fix me with the word, which, and I really saw a genuine love from that. Like, he'd, I'd come to him with an issue, and he'd, like, give me a verse, and I'd just say, men, you know what? Sometimes your women, they know the word. They don't want to hear it from you. They just want you to listen and love. <laughs> so, my darling, <laughs> who I, I do appreciate, um, I would just shut down. I knew that he was um, loving me, but I just shut down. It just wasn't computing. But um, one day, Ken said he was in his room, and um, he was just didn't know what to do with me, and he just cried out to God, and he said he got this word picture. And in his mind, and he, he says he hardly gets this sort of stuff, but in his mind, he saw this house, and he realized that it was my heart. And so he walks into the front door of this house, and it's this big living space, something similar to this with all cool pictures and, and there's lots of people milling and he was like, yeah, this is Annie. She like loves people and loves to um, meet new people and, um, and he catches my eye and he realizes that I want, to l- he, I want to lead him to another part in the house. And so we open up, the, we open up a door and down it is this um, corridor of heaps of rooms. Some of them are like door open, beaming with light. Some of them are slightly ajar, and then some of them are just jammed shut, moss growing. I grab his hand, and I'm like <laughs> trying to walk really quickly past them. But I'm intentional about leading him to a particular room. And we get to the long end of the corridor, and I'm breathing heavily. I pull out this key. I've got it around my neck, and I look around to see if anyone's looking. I open the door. I usher him in quickly. I jam it shut and lock it again. And in this room is this big treasure chest. And Ken recognizes, oh my gosh, this is her heart of hearts. Now, I want you to understand, I would um, be very friendly to people. I think people thought they were a lot closer to me than what they were because I would only let them come so far because I was so scared that if they got to know the real me, they'd gap it. Or they'd, um, and it had been something in my story, like friends would leave. <laughs> Maybe I was a horrible child, actually. But, um, <laughs> but I started, again, d- the devil cashing in on those lies no one's going to love you if they know the real you. And so Ken knew this was a big thing for me. Um, but we'd, we got to this treasure chest, and I was really determined I was going to open it and show him for the love of my life. And I get to the treasure tre- chest, and I just can't do it. And I just flop over the chest. And he's, like, awkward. He's like, she does this all the time. She'll lead me this far, and then she'll drop me. And I'm upset because I don't want to do that, but I just don't know. I don't know how to be anything else. And then the, the room is just tense with confusion and awkwardness. And then, and, and then we hear the door unlock. And I'm just, like, mortified. I'm like, who's got a key to this room? And Ken turns around. We both turn around. And in walks Jesus. And Ken said when he saw Jesus, the presence of God just fell in his room. And Jesus comes, he takes my hand, he takes Kenneth's hand, and we open it together. And when Ken told me that story, I was like, he gets me. (laughs) God, he gets me. And you understand my pain. And so we knew from that day forward, whatever was going to happen, Jesus was going to be with us. And um, um, you know the Holy Spirit, he is so gentle and kind especially with our healing, but he's going to be true and honest. And he wants us 
you know, because it's where we, we, we experience the most hurt in relationship, yeah? But that's also the vehicle where he wants us to be healed. And, you know, sometimes I used to just go to church. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just wanted to gap it. Um, and that's okay sometimes, but actually God wants us to get connected. And if there is someone out here who is on their healing journey, who is just wondering how you go forward, find someone you can trust. Let them speak into your life. Let them call stuff out. Let them love you. Because actually that's what I was scared of as well. I was scared for Kenneth to love me. Because if I, he loved me, then I would love him. And then I'd be in a place of vulnerability. But when Jesus is there, when Jesus is there, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And he's proved that time and time again. Um, I just want us to go back to that verse in Revelation. 12, 11, says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And I just want to pause on the blood of the lamb. How powerful is the blood of the lamb? And actually, I want to read to you how powerful it is. And it's in Matthew 27, 51 to 52. Now, Jesus has just died. And this is what the verse says. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two. Do you know how thick that veil is? Okay, I don't know how thick, but I know it was super, super thick. (laughs) That veil is the thickest thing you've ever seen. That veil was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook violently. There was an earthquake. Rocks were split apart and graves were opened. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. It tears veils. It shakes the foundations. It breaks the hard places and it brings dead to life. The blood of Jesus is powerful. And when the blood of Jesus is on us and on our stories, nothing can touch it. When the blood of Jesus is on our stories, they become more than stories. They become a weapon. And that is why Satan wants to silence us. That is why he wants to keep us from being healed and letting those places come to light because he does not want us to understand who we are and what we have. But in Jesus, guys, in Jesus, we can transform this world, this broken world in Jesus. In Jesus, there is freedom. There is liberty. There is grace. There is mercy. And it says that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than Abel. Abel, when Jesus, heard, when God heard his blood, it was for vengeance. It was for himself. But the blood of Jesus, it's for grace. It's for mercy. It's for all of us. The blood of Jesus speaks out on your behalf. And when Satan comes, with his lies, you just show him the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus will put him in his place. So brothers, sisters, you have a story and it's beautiful and it needs to be told. Don't let it be hidden anymore because Satan needs to be silenced in our community. And um, just to finish, I'm just wondering if my brothers, I'm sorry, this is really short, but um, I'm just wondering if my brother and sister who are going to sing with me this morning, Ken on Keys, just get ready. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is in, you think I know it off the top of my head, but I don't, um, is Luke. <clears throat> I love this verse because it's like Jesus' commissioning verse. It was written hundreds of years before he came to this earth, and it was his day to read the scriptures, and this was it. This was God commissioning him 
giving him his mission for what he was going to do on this earth. And I believe that God commissions all of us with these same verses. So I'm going to ask you to join me to stand. Put your hand on your heart and repeat this after me. Because you know what? We don't want to be selfish with our stories. Our stories need to be heard. Somebody needs to hear your story. Somebody needs to see your freedom and your liberty. So if you put your hand on your heart and repeat after me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, to tell the blind they can see again, to deliver those who are crushed, to liberate the oppressed, and to announce this is God's year to act. Brothers and sisters, this is God's day to act. This is God's year to act, and it's through you. It's through you. Father, Holy Spirit, Son, thank you that you are commissioning us for our community. Thank you that you want to heal all our broken places, and we offer them up to you this morning, Jesus. You are worthy. You're the only one who is worthy. You're not the great physician just because you heal bodies, but you heal souls and hearts and spirits and communities and families, and we just speak your liberty this morning into our lives and into our community. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We worship you. There's no one more worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Take a seat. My siblings are just going to sing a song, but it just cap- encapsulates my testimony and probably the testimony of many of us. So, thanks, guys. <laughs>